Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, I'm Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 427 of the podcast. It's October 13th, 2021. My guest today is Karen Ross. I will introduce her more fully in a minute, but if you would like to find links to information about Karen's new book and all sorts of other things that we're going to mention in the episode today, you can go to leanblog.org slash 427. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. A returning guest, a good friend of ours here on the podcast, Karen Ross. Karen, how are you today? I'm totally fabulous, Mark, and even more fabulous because, of course, I'm a returning guest on the podcast. Uh, I'm happy you're back. I'm happy that you're happy to be back. And, and you know, I, I, I almost want to say Karen Ross requires no introduction to this audience, but I'm going to do so a little bit anyway. Um, you know, Karen has been on the podcast before. We've done some, we've done a live stream, um, but she is the owner of uh, KRC, Karen Ross Consulting. She is one of what they call the founding mothers of a group um, called Women in Lean, Our Table. It's a global group of more than 750 lean practitioners. She's the founder and president of the Love and Kindness Project Foundation. I'm wearing uh, this this nifty pin that Karen has sent me before, um, helps represent um, the foundation. And um, the the kindness, uh, she's also the founder of the New School for Kind Leaders. And even though I've stumbled over all of that, thank you for the, I know Karen will be kind in her <laughs> reaction to that. It's, it's, I realized as I've been putting this together that really it's a, it's a lot of things. And so I've been thinking, well, how could I describe myself in actually one sentence? So now I'm just saying I'm, I, I'm an activator. I'm activating people to create a kinder, better world. It's just super important to me that we don't just think about kindness. We don't talk mm-hmm. about kindness. We actually um, act with kindness. That's well put. That's a way of summarizing as your bio reads, artist, speaker, author, consultant, coach, practitioner, activator is a really good word for that. And uh, Karen was also a guest for episode three of My Favorite Mistake. So thank you again, Karen, for doing that. You are very welcome. And actually, I love telling that story. So if people haven't uh, ha- haven't tuned into that one, I'm going to ask them, uh, please go in and please go and do that. One of my favorites. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. So um, I will continue to demonstrate my most recent mistakes, but I'll try to be kind to myself because we all stumble over something when we read it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Karen, um, congratulations again on um, the launch of the book. It's published through Productivity Press, and it is called The Kind Leader, A Practical Guide, right? So this is not a theoretical academic tome, no offense to academic books. Um, uh, a Practical Guide to Eliminating Fear, Creating Trust, and Leading um, with kindness. So um, I, I do hope people will read the book, but just to touch on a few topics that are uh, inside. I mean, you know, first off, Karen, how, how do you define kindness? That's a word we all know, but we might use a little differently. I know. And that's a great question. And one of the, when I was doing the research for the book and writing the book, 
I asked people if they would be willing to be interviewed and 28 fabulous people stepped forward. And a question that I asked all of them was how do you define kindness? And when I asked that question, there was generally a silence and I could see people looking up like this and they thought for a moment and then they would tell me about a kind act or something that was kind. And I realized that people have a lot of difficulty defining kindness. So here's um, when I put together all the different things that people told me, here's the definition that you will find in the Kind Leader book. Kindness is actually the act that we do or the words that we speak. It's an action that connects our internal feelings and thoughts of empathy and compassion. And that act, kindness is the act that we do in response to those feelings of empathy and compassion that's undertaken purposefully to make something better for somebody else. So just thinking about the suffering that someone else is going through, the desire to help them with that, that's internal to us and it's not kindness. The actual thing we do, the word we speak, the response we have to that person, that's what kindness is. That's a great definition. And uh, I shared with Karen the other day, um, I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. There was an NPR story about a family that had re- received recognition for kindness. And I think it was one of the family members who talked about the difference between being nice and being kind. And it seems like that focus on the action as you stated it. If I remember right, I think that's how they differentiated that niceness is maybe a little more passive or less actively involved than kindness. Do you, what what, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I would agree. And actually, I think it's really important that we have discussions around being nice and being kind, because oftentimes um, what I hear is that people think that kindness has to do with weakness, but actually I think it's the opposite that kindness, especially in leadership requires a huge amount of strength. So just for an example, we have a a team member who maybe is underperforming and we're thinking "Mm, maybe we want to move them off our team or we want to let them go. The nice thing to do might be actually to go to them and give them some kind of excuses and say, we're moving you off into this role because, um, you know, we think you'll add value, whatever it is. The kind thing to do which actually requires a lot of strength is to sit down with the person and say, here are the things that I've seen in a way that doesn't tear the person down, that doesn't break their heart, that doesn't (laughs) hurt them as a person and explain to them what's really going on, the truth of the situation. And then listening with open eyes, open ears, open mind, and an open heart to see what is going on with them and figuring out how you can help them right now that action how you can help them and again it still may may mean moving them off your team but actually if we're that takes a huge amount of strength doesn't it if we're not kind how's that person going to learn and grow and improve yeah i mean right at the beginning of chapter one of the book you cite um colin powell who (laughs) was a four-star general secretary of state He says, kindness is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of confidence. And I agree with that completely. 
Absolutely. And you know what? I think if General Colin Powell does not think that kindness is weakness, that is uh, pretty much enough authority for me to agree as well. Think about times in your own life where you've had to do difficult things or think about a difficult conversation you have with someone or maybe you're overcome with emotion. The easy thing to do is shout at someone. The easy thing to do is disconnect from someone. The easy thing to do is blame someone else. That's weakness, right? We lose our temper in weakness. To be kind to someone, to think, oh, feel that empathy, right? What could be going on with this person? Let me put myself in their shoes. Oh, they're going through this really hard time. I can see they're having some mental health struggles. I feel compassionate about it. Now let me see what actually I could do to help the person, that takes an awful lot of strength. That is a lot harder to do. I mean, yeah, that phrase, losing your temper, I mean, that that says a lot just in, in, in those words that we weren't able to maintain control, maintain control over our reaction. I remember this is something um, the late Stephen Covey would talk about, as others do, separating, putting an intentional gap between stimulus and response. Like you think of, you know, online discussion, and they don't use these words exactly, but someone says, ah, you're a duty head. Well, it's really tempting to fire back. It's it's a reflex, right? It's a reflex. And in fact, it is a reflex, right? So we, uh, we, we let our, our, our brain, right, that sort of reptile part of our brain takes over. And one of the things that we talk a lot, I talk a lot in the book is about the neuroscience that actually causes us to assume negative intent, right? To look at something, to hear something. We want to, our reptile, you know, our our ancient selves wanted to protect ourselves. And so we think about things negatively. But actually, in order to be kind, and we have three key kind leader practices, think kindly, speak kindly, act kindly, each with three key behaviors. The first key behavior of think kindly is assume positive intent. In order to do that, we're going to actually have to pause and check our thoughts regularly because we are neurologically on the default to assume negative intent. Right. So if we automatically think, well, if I'm kind, people are going to see that as a weakness. They're going to walk all over me. We have to look at ourselves and say, oh, my goodness. Now I am assuming negative intent. Well, and if they do try to walk over you, that's on them. That's not really you you can't you shouldn't you, you shouldn't blame yourself for that. Maybe. No, absolutely not. And the truth is. I, I myself have not actually experienced a lot of people who have tried to walk all over me. In fact, I've experienced more people who are kind and nice and who, when approached um, with an open mind and an open heart, actually at work, they're doing their best in difficult situations, right? I haven't found people a lot of times that have tried to walk all over me. Well, so if your kindness and your actions are driven from strength, and somebody wants to assume otherwise, well, then they may learn. If they're trying to walk over you, guess what? You're not letting them, (laughs) right? That's exactly it. Just because, and I think this goes back to the, the difference between kind and nice. 
being kind doesn't mean I have to say yes all of the time. Being kind doesn't mean that I have to do things that actually I don't feel like doing or that don't go with my values. Being kind means that I have to consider someone else. I have to put myself in their shoes. I should see what they need. If I decide that the answer that I want to give someone is no or something, I can do it in a way that doesn't make the other person feel terrible. I don't have to say, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. I don't want to do something like that. I can say that doesn't fit in with my values. Thank you very much for asking me to do this. It's just not an opportunity that I want right now. That's a kind way to do that. We yeah. can, right? Well, there, there are kind ways to do a lot of things. I mean, I interviewed uh, somebody... It's an episode I'm going to be releasing tomorrow after your episode here is released on on my favorite mistake. Uh, Moses Harris is his name for people who want to look to that episode. And he was working his way through college. He was working at an an insurance company and he was fired for cause. And he never understood what really the cause was. Like he told the story, I'll summarize it, is you know, he was trying to help set up in a large meeting room, something about the projector and whatever. That was not part of his job. (laughs) He was trying to be helpful, you know, and there was a a vice president and, and she was having trouble. And he said, or, you know, he was trying to help. And then after the fact, like, it's not like there was some sort of big blow up, but then after the fact, it got back to him. This VP is very upset at you. And the way you treated her and he and the other people around that he knew, they're trying to debrief and figure out, like, he couldn't figure it out. He got called into her office and was sort of forced to apologize. And he didn't know what he was apologizing for. And then get this, he got fired because the, the apology wasn't sincere enough. And I think that was all like such an unkind act, not not even just the firing, but the confusion and the doubt and like to do like what, what an unkind thing to do to him and really like his first professional job. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of it stems from leaders tend to be focused on results, the ends. So you'll find a lot about focusing on the means in the kind leader book and the ends tend to be things or results tend to be things. So whether it's, you know, profits, whether it's gaining growth and gaining more customers, the people we think about in businesses, leaders tend to be focused on those ends. And when the ends don't look like they're going to turn out right, that creates fear for those people. And again, what happens when we're in fear? Flight fight, freeze, and that sort of, you know, older part of our brain takes over. And again, when people are afraid, they they focus on themselves. But actually kindness, remember, <laughs> is focusing on others, having empathy and compassion, putting yourself in their shoes and seeing things not from your point of view, from their point of view. It takes more strength to do that. It takes more time to do that. It takes an understanding of, "Mm, I need to be a little less self-centered, right? And 
that's difficult. So the focus really has to change in order for leaders to lead with kindness. And it's not that they should forget about the ends. They shouldn't. The thing is, we have to, you know, make sure our customers get what they want. But actually, they have to say, okay, at this moment, my focus needs to be on the person who, if I didn't have this person here, would <laughs> there would be no ends to have. I th- and I think that fear, that fear we all have gets translated to let me do something to get rid of this other person versus mm-hmm. let me deal with my own fear. So, and, and I'm just guessing, and I wasn't there, and I don't mean to play arms, armchair psychologist, but I think part of the root of it, the best that Moses ever sort of got this explained to him was that he made the VP look bad. And some people have a real fear um, of, you know, thinking, well, I'm higher up in the organization. I must be more infallible, more perfect, more all-knowing. And he may have exposed that fact. And it does really maybe sound like fear caused her to react in terms of, well, I need to get rid of that person. I need to punish them as opposed to like, even if he, the words, or maybe he should have pulled her aside and explained it, or maybe it was the tone, like he doesn't know, but like there was such a coaching opportunity there where this vice president could have called him into the office and said, let's, let, let's have a discussion of like, wait, is, is this a good way to frame it? When you did this, it made me feel like that. But that's maybe a little too vulnerable. Some people don't like talking about their feelings that way at work. Yes. And let's think, though, also about really fear is, I always say it's a cause and it's actually a result. There's there's, there's a, a whole cycle here, which we talk about in the book called the the vicious circle of fear. And when we're afraid, first of all, now I'm focused on me. I'm not focused on others. When we're afraid, it's very easy for us to act in an unkind way. Because and, we and, and maybe just to add, sorry, sorry to interrupt, the, the reptile brain makes us focus on ourselves. That's the survival yeah. instinct. That's it. That's it. So in an organization, in which there's a culture of fear, we're not gonna find, I think if you look closely, you're not gonna find that much kindness. So what you're gonna find is that, why are people are afraid? Well, they're afraid that if they're not perfect or they do things wrong or they, you know, (laughs) they're going to, something's gonna happen. They're gonna get demoted. They're gonna get a poor performance review. They're gonna get fired. And that causes them to act in all kinds of, unpleasant ways to protect themselves. And that fear, again, it just goes in a cycle because when I'm acting in an unkind way, it's just going to create more fear. A lot of the basis of this, and I really look forward to people reading the book, is competition, right? If If you're that vice president, We don't know that person's situation. Maybe that vice president was competing for another position. And then you think, oh, somehow now I've looked bad. Maybe I'm not going to get that position. Nobody wants to be the loser, right? And when we set up systems in which people are winners or losers, if you're worried about being the loser, maybe you're not going to act kindly. If you're the winner, well, guess what? Now you're worried that next time, oh, next bonus, next promotion, 
next election, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be the loser. You might still act kindly. And unfortunately, those failures of kindness and failures of leadership, they just cause devastating impacts for all of us. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that you say and you write about that reminds me of what Dr. Deming always taught. He said, you know, we need to eliminate fear. He, he talked a lot about eliminating competition. And I, and I think, you know, uh, in particular, internal competition. He, he said some things that some people find controversial about how even competition in a market can be sub-optimizing or, or maybe bad for society. But let's think back to internal situations like you brought up, Karen, where people are um, sometimes very consciously pitted against each other or divisions or teams or departments are pitted against each other. That, that seems like that would then lead to a lot of fear and a lot of unkindness. Absolutely. And we can even see it in smaller units. We tend to divide up people even in the same department into teams. And we're like, okay, everybody get a team name, get a team identity. When your team is worried about, okay, our stats, we want to be the winning team and get the whatever Monday motivation trophy is, right, on Monday. Well, when a customer calls and they're on someone else's team, maybe you're less likely to help them because now, again, here's that competition. Your team isn't going to win. And that's just not kind, right? It's just not kind. So a lot of these, a lot of these problems really are systemic, systemic problems. And they just cycle, the, the cycle just repeats itself over and over again. Our leader was unkind to us. As I say in the book, we all are leaders at different times in the day, at different places in our life. We may not have a leader title at work, but we go home and we're a single parent and we're the head of our family. We go to our child's sports team and we're the coach. When we put on our leader hat, we actually lead in a way that's been modeled to us by our leaders. So our fabulous friend, Deandra Wardell, right? I was talking to her about the book and we were talking about this vicious circle of fear. And I said, remember that old cartoon where the boss yells at the employee, the employee goes home, yells at their spouse, the spouse yells at the child, the child kicks the dog. And she said, yes, but it doesn't end there. She said, that child goes to school and bullies the other child. Then that child grows up and they become the boss that yells at the employee. And the whole circle, that that whole vicious cycle systemically repeats mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. So, you know, Dr. Deming, as, as you were saying, you know, focus on the systemic causes. Um, it might be a kind reaction to somebody's unkind behavior to step away from blaming them or assuming negative intent or assuming, well, they're acting unkindly. They must be a bad person. Well, that might not be the case at all because they're part of a system. They're part of a system. And in fact, so many people have said to me about the book, well, the people who are unkind and who need this the most are not going to read the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how is it going to help? Well, actually, here's what we know from systems thinking. <laughs> if we change the inputs to the system, 
we're going to change the outputs to the system. So if all of us, and as I said, you're a leader at some point in the day, when you wear your leader hat, if you actually practice acting, speaking, and thinking kindly, and it is a practice, <laughs> a day practice, you are going to actually put different inputs into the system. And over time, all of our different inputs into the system change the system. And the outputs are going to be different. Instead of fear, we're going to get trust. We're going to get connection. We're going to get unity. We're going to get all those different things. And then the other people in the system, they're going to be changed by the system too. So there's that powerful indirect path. I, I, I think that hypothesis makes sense. It's not going to be the direct path of, um, you know, I, I wouldn't find this, I wouldn't expect this to be a useful approach to give this book to somebody and say, here, become more kind. Because A, they might not read it, or B, they might not read it from a place of really wanting to absorb it. They might want to read it so they can be dismissive and say, ah, pfft. You know, and whatever that noise meant. Um, yeah, I mean, I, sorry to interrupt you, but what I'm going to say, I don't think if you asked anybody that they're going to say I'm not kind. People think they're <laughs> kind. We mm. on the receiving end might not feel or think that what they're doing is kind, but I don't think most mm. people are going to define themselves as an unkind person. I think there's all kinds of there's um, I'm sure neuroscience or psychology of the defense mechanisms that build up for people want to feel good about themselves. Yeah. So the best thing to do is to practice <laughs> kindness and to practice kind leadership, because then not only is the kind act, the kind, word, <laughs> the kind thought you have going to make something better for the person that you actually are kind to, but it's going to change the system. And if you happen to be in a leadership role at work, the way you act is going to change the culture of the organization that you work in. And then because of the people who work for you are gonna take that, what they learn out into other places, into home, into community, that's gonna change the culture there as well. So for somebody who you know is interested in the topic and maybe isn't as comfortable with the word kind or kind, kindness, um, in, in the book, do you connect kindness to a phrase that has been used a lot in the lean community, respect for people or just respect? How, how would you connect kindness and respect for people? Well, although this is not a traditional lean book, People who are lean practitioners are going to find a lot of um, connections. So our act kindly behavior is check in with people, not on them. And uh, to go to see all of these things, we're going to find them. So I'm going to say that one thing I find as a from the lean world is that I don't think respect for people is as clearly defined a pillar as the continuous improvement pillar. We have tons of tools, people can tell you 5S. I actually um, 
was with the Saskatchewan Lean Practitioners Association, and I did a presentation, and I asked them, uh, please write down your definition of respect for people for me. They were all different, which is actually what I was pretty sure about. So I think that the principles in this book help to really solidify and define what that respect for people is. And, you know, we have a very common saying we use in lean. Be hard on the process. Be soft on the people. I think, again, we tend to just remember the be hard on the process. When something happens, we say, okay, don't blame the people. Let's just go look at the process. But I think we could say be soft on the people means be kind to the people. We shouldn't forget that other part. If somebody makes a mistake, they feel bad. They're a human being. We should actually help them to deal with that as well. So they can deal with their feelings of how nobody wants to go to work and make a terrible mistake for a customer. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So I think there's a distinction between, let's say, not blaming and not yelling at somebody. Beyond that is to, to realize when somebody might need a, pep, a, a pat on the back or a pep talk. Because like you yes. said, they feel bad already. We should We should acknowledge that. Okay, so I, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but um, when I started working with, at the payroll company, which is where I eventually learned uh, lean, um, in my very first week, I made a huge, huge mistake. And of course, I was trying to learn how to use the payroll system. And I thought I was in the test system. I was not in the test system. I was in the actual system. And by mistake, I paid someone $150,000. Now, the checks and balances of the payroll company were very good, and they actually caught the error before money was with $150,000. I could have been treated unbelievably unkindly. It was my first week. I was doing the best that I could. Of course, when somebody told me I made the error, how did I feel? Fear. Fear was the first thing. Oh, my goodness, it's my first week. They're going to fire me. I'm not going to have a job. How could anybody recover from this? Right? But that's not what happened. My supervisor and the trainer called me aside. They explained what happened. They sat with me to figure out how the mistake could happen so that it wouldn't happen again. And they acknowledged that I was afraid and that I felt bad. Nobody wants to go to work on the first week and make this kind of horrible mistake. So we have to take care of people too. We have to be kind to people. And I've heard that that's a great story. I've heard stories like that from Toyota people. Um, Asao Yoshino told a story about a mistake he made in an episode of My Favorite Mistake. David Meyer from his time at Toyota also talked about that in an episode of My Favorite Mistake, where those, those mistakes we're seen as learning opportunities and maybe back to something you said earlier, don't assume negative intent. Don't assume the, don't assume the person was trying to cause a problem or don't assume that Karen was trying to embezzle money to a friend or, you know, like assume, assume positive intent and, and think about the systems. What made that error possible? And what can you do, as you were saying, what can we do to learn and prevent that error from occurring again? That seems like a very Toyota mindset. Absolutely. And I think it also goes back to something you talk a lot about on the 
uh, you know, my favorite mistake podcast. Nobody is perfect. Not a single one of us is perfect. We are human beings. We are totally imperfect. We can do our best pokey okey job in our good lean language. <laughs> and what are we going to find out? We're still going to make mistakes. And so in the fact, and this is really where the empathy and compassion comes in. I have to acknowledge that I am not a perfect person. So when I see someone else's mistake, I need to acknowledge that the way I feel when I make a mistake, which is horrible and embarrassed and, you know, oh my goodness, I paid someone $150,000 <laughs> for my job. Yeah. That's the way the other person feels. And it's okay for them to be imperfect. It's okay for us to be imperfect. And the wonderful thing about kind leadership, which I always say, it's a practice that takes practice, is that I can guarantee you in two minutes, there's going to be another time for you to practice being kind for someone. Because as human beings, we make errors all of the time. You would not have a whole podcast on this if this was not the case. <laughs> right. I mean, my this wasn't the most recent mistake I made, but a mistake I made was pointed out to me just this morning, and I think it was done in a kind way. So um, I, I was leading a project to overhaul the website for the firm Value Capture, and there was a page where in the, kind of the top subheader, it makes reference to healthcare. And um, it was pointed out, you know, kindly, you know, nobody piled on or called me an idiot or what's wrong with you or why weren't you more careful or why didn't you proofread? Somehow I had typed the word healthcare instead of two lowercase H's, there were both lowercase B's. And I typed the word healthcare a lot. And I don't remember ever, I'm a good typist. I'm a touch typist. I can type accurately and quickly. I don't remember ever noticing that I typed Belfbe instead of healthcare. And I'm looking, I'm like, well, those keys are right next to each other on the keyboard. And a lowercase b looks a lot like a lowercase h, especially the way the page was formatted. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness, I made the mistake and I didn't catch it. Um, but you know what? It was easily fixed. And I appreciate the kindness. And, and again, like, I don't think that's being easy on me where I don't feel like that's creating a permissive culture where Mark Raven doesn't have to care about the quality of his work. Like, well, no, I do care about the quality of my work. Right. And that's, again, back to this definition between being kind and being nice. Right. Being kind doesn't mean that I can't help you become better at the work that you're doing. In fact, it would be very unkind of me not to help you. It would be unkind of me not to, you know, point out something like that. Maybe I'd like to know how it happened. I'm sure you'd like to know how it happened because goodness knows what you don't want to do is end up in a meeting where someone is talking about, hey, look, there's that guy who wrote <laughs> well, right? Care. <laughs> right? So yeah. I think it's just really important for people to understand that we're, we're all imperfect. We're all going to make mistakes. It's better not to have to live in fear of what's going to happen when you do make the mistake. 
wouldn't you rather know that your leader is going to just automatically say, okay, Mark is a human being, Karen is a human being. They're going to make a mistake when they do make a mistake. Let's see how we can help them learn and grow from it, help other people learn and grow from it, because then that's the model you take home to your family. That's the model you take out into the community. And then we change the system so that we don't have people screaming at each other. We don't have people confronting each other about all kinds of choices, right? Right. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm glad, you know, because I, I, you know, the, the General Motors work environment right out of college was a yelling and screaming and getting upset culture. And, and, and sometimes that was rationalized. I remember talking to some leaders like, well, if you don't get upset, people don't think you're serious. And like, well, I'd, that, that was not a fun work environment to be a part of. And I think it was damaging to the results of the organization, more importantly. Actually, people will read in the book that although the book is not specifically focused on kind leadership is going to give you better results, there is actually a section to show you how kind leadership does give you better results. Mark, do you work at at GM anymore? No, I've been gone for almost 25 years. If you worked in a super kind environment, you might still be there. And that's really the other thing. We talk about now the great uh, resignation and all of those things, and there's lots of different theories about why that's happening. One of the theories that I have is that people understand now that time is a precious gift. And what we do with our time, we're not going to get it back. This is the time of our life. When I go to work somewhere, I am giving that organization the gift of the time of my life. I will never, ever get it back. And I think people are unwilling to work in cultures and environments in which they are treated unkindly. That is, <laughs> I, yeah. I think and people aren't willing to do it anymore. Yeah, it, it connects you know, back to this idea of you know, kindness or respect or however we're going to frame it or both um, leads to better results. That's also the conclusion drawn from the research around a related concept, psychological safety. And I'll put a link in the show notes, Karen, and Jessica House co-presented a really, really great webinar on psychological safety as part of the Kinexus series. Um, we're, we're not, I think there's, there's double benefit as with many things. We're not being kind just because maybe, well, we'd say it's the right thing to do. It, it's good for the organization. It is good for the organization. And again, as adults, where do we spend the majority of our time? At work. In the book, I define culture as what's allowed and accepted here to happen here, right? If you have a culture of fear, well, leadership has allowed and accepted yelling and screaming and (laughs) beating people with a stick, right? Then if it's allowed and accepted here, we take it out into the world where it's allowed and accepted. If what's allowed and accepted is when someone makes a mistake, as a leader, for you to go and say, hi, here's what occurred. Can we sit down and you can tell me about it and help us, like, let's figure let's figure this out. If that's now a culture of kindness, 
And that's how you learn to treat other people at work when you go home. That's how you treat your partner or spouse. That's how you treat your kids when they grow up. That's the kind of leader that they become. That's how they solve a problem at school. Um, I want to come back and hear a little bit more about something you said earlier about um, neuroscience around assuming negative intent and how that might be baked into us. So one, one thing that makes me think of kind of related to that first is like I, I, from what I've read, it does seem like it is very much in our human nature to try to blame others, to deflect blame from ourselves. Like that seems like a reasonable survival strategy that then has all kinds of side effects. Is there a similar neuroscience around assuming negative intent? Was that helpful maybe in the early day, earlier days of humankind? Yes. And in fact, it's called negativity bias, right? And it's totally unconscious and we assume the negative. So, and this happens all the time when my kids were little, we wanted to go to Disney World. And so I said, children, your father and I have decided that we are going to take you to Disney World. And they looked at us and they said, we don't want to go. And I'm like, nothing. it's like really wrong over here. But the thing is, in general, when we present a novel idea to someone, the absolute first thing they are going to do is assume negative intent and say, no, I don't like that. As leaders and as people and as lean practitioners, we need to understand this negativity bias and realize that, okay, they're not resistant. They're not, they're, they're not doing, they're human beings. And actually, if you let people <laughs> just go for a while, they'll think about it, that part of the brain will, uh, you know, just relax and then they can think. But in general, we will all assume negative intent first. And because The Kind Leader is a practical book. So here's the point at which I'm going to ask people to do a little bit of practice. What I'd like everyone to do now who listens to this, whatever point it is in your day, wherever you are, to pay attention for the rest of the day to when someone presents an idea to you. And I want you to pay attention to your own thinking and notice what was the first thought that came into my mind? Mm -hmm. Answers are it's negative. The good thing is, as human beings, we can override that because we can look at that negative thought. We could write it down and we can say, okay. What can I replace that with, with a positive thought? And I'd like you to do that. And especially if you're in a leadership role at work, probably almost every interaction you're going to have with someone, that negative is going to come first. As I said, we're going to have a million times a day to practice assuming positive intent. We also remember negative things much more clearly and much longer than we remember positive experiences. And I think Toyota, when they came to North America, found this too, maybe in Japan, right? A problem is buried treasure. And we would talk about the problems first. I think they found in North America, you need to give workers three to five positives before you tell them a negative. We remember the negative. And and I think there's something to be said about being kind to yourself. So like one thing I think I've gotten better at managing is I know I shouldn't blame individuals for systemic problems, whether that's in a workplace or me being a customer or whatever. And I've gotten better at kind of creating that pause between having the thought that's sort of blamey 
and then saying something. Like I've learned to keep that in. I still sometimes feel bad. Like, well, why was I even thinking that? But then I try to be kind. I'm like, well, it is kind of in our nature, but at least I moderated it. I, I, I need to, I think, do better around this negativity bias of being stating the problem I see with the idea first, instead of holding that back and saying something good about the idea, because, and that's not blowing smoke, but there is, I'm sure, something good about the idea and not just jumping right to the flaw in the idea, the potential flaw in the idea, or, um, you know, having a negativity bias about expecting the worst. I guess I my one takeaway here is that I can be kind toward myself and, and say, well, that is part of our nature. Don't beat yourself up over that. Yes. And I think, again, and you'll find specific exercises. Good thing you have your book because you can uh-huh. do the exercises. I'm going to go through it more now. Yep. Right. To be kind to yourself because you are a human being and you have the same biology. So again, it's becoming conscious of, oh, I'm having this negative assumption and going into a situation and prepare yourself and say, okay, especially in a situation (laughs) where you're going to have an emotional trigger, right? That, okay, what are the things that I can do to prepare myself to No, the first thought I'm going to have is probably going to be negative. Now, what do I do? I can stop. A really good thing for a leader to model is actually to sit down in a situation that's a difficult situation or a difficult uh, conversation and say, oh, um, I know that we have this thing called negativity bias, and I'm going to have this, what I call negative first impression. When I do, I'm actually just going to take a pause. I'm going to write it down and I'm going to recenter myself. Now you've actually modeled a good way for that person to act when they have their leader hat on. So not only are you actually making what you're doing visible, you're you're saying it's okay to be human and to be imperfect. Nobody perfect. Be kind to yourself. Perhaps you've noticed that every LinkedIn post I put in everything You'll find a spelling error. You'll find a grammar error. I actually leave those on purpose. I do reread my post. Mm -hmm. And I just leave them because I want Mm -hmm. people to understand. Mm -hmm. No need to be perfect. And Do you know Amy Mervak? I've met Amy before. Yeah. Yeah. She's from Michigan, I think. Right. Yes. So Amy and I are actually doing a new school for kind leaders workshop um, called Perfectionism Isn't Kind. And we're going to actually do a particular workshop on that. Jessica and I are doing a five C's of psychological safety one as well. But it's okay not to be perfect. Do you know why it's okay not to be perfect? Because there are 7.5 billion people in the world. And the reason we're all here in the world, imperfect as we are, is to help each other. If we were perfect, we'd only need one. Wow. So I want to add, wanted to ask, um, you've been doing uh, live streaming. You and I have done some live, <laughs> live streaming before, and you've been doing this weekly talk show, the Little Kind Words talk show. I mean, when you're streaming live, a mistake, it, it's there. I mean, I'm not going to go edit out the stumbles from me attempting to read from your bio earlier, but like, what, what have you learned first, like just about 
the process of live streaming, um, if you make mistakes, have you managed to be kind to yourself in that context? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I love the live streaming and I love it because it gives us an opportunity to practice accepting what is, right? And I think that's, again, another good way to practice being kind to ourselves and being kind to others. Uh, last week, you can go back and listen to this, my little end of the week reflection. My phone rang at the end of it. It was some kind of junk call. Hey, that's okay. People's phone phone rings. But I really love that not edited, not perfection. You know, they just recently found a study. I think probably everybody's read it about the negative in, impact of Instagram on young women, right? When we Photoshop everything, when we only curate the best moments, what kind of example is that? Hey, you know, the truth is I don't have the perfect lighting. I don't have uh, any fancy lighting over here. I don't dye my hair. I don't wear makeup. My phone sometimes <laughs> rings and it's all all right. And that's actually what I want to help people understand. It's all all right. We don't have to actually improve at every moment. Sometimes we could just accept ourselves as the imperfect, fabulous people we are. That's well said. Um, one other question before we start wrapping up. You know, as, as you know, we, we try to be lifelong learners. And I know, Karen, I know that is you. You're, you're practicing and challenging yourself. Um, what have you learned about kindness since the book was published? I have had the most amazing experience since the book was published. You would not, you cannot imagine the number of people who have reached out to me and said, Karen, what can I do to help you? How can I help you bring this message to other people? And I'm just, I am absolutely incredibly. I don't even, I don't have words to describe as you can see how I feel. What I really think people are tired of unkindness. They're tired of feeling like there's nothing that they can do. They're tired of a system in which every day on social media, we're just streamed all kinds of unkindness. The artificial intelligence, as you and I said in our live stream, you know, just presents you with this. We're people are tired of it. They want to do something. And they're going to do something because every single tiny act of kindness changes the system. It's not too small. So thank you to everybody who has reached out to me to, do, to say, how can I help? I am just blown away by your kindness. Including you, Mark. You're having me on the podcast. <laughs> I do my best to be kind and I, I sometimes fail at that, but um, me too. Working at it. Me too. Right. And then we pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off, do some introspection and take our next opportunity to practice, which will come along in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and final question here, Karen. And again, we're talking to Karen Ross. Your book is the kind leader. Um, you, before we started recording, you started telling me about something I want the listeners to hear about. Uh, you had a story what, about a pop-up kindness stand. What, what is oh. that and who, and who did that? Yes. 
So for the Love and Kindness Project Foundation, and you can go on our website, www.loveandkindnessproject.org and order these buttons. I'll ship you as many as you want, shipping included anywhere in the world. And I had this idea that um, I could have pop-up kindness stands and people could have pop-up kindness stands and they just stand here with the buttons. And I asked these, uh, and I thought, oh, retired people could do this. And so I asked these friends of mine um, if they could uh, have a pop-up kindness stand. And I normally ship the buttons closed because I don't want someone to injure themselves (laughs) with the sharp part of the button. And they got the buttons and they sent me a note back and they were in their 80s. And they said, Karen, we can't open the buttons. It's the clasp (laughs) is too tight. Could you send me the other, the like open buttons? So I did. A little while later, both of them, this was right at the beginning of the pandemic. Unfortunately, both of them got COVID. Luckily, they are both recovered. And there is a Wall Street Journal article, I believe, written about them as, as, um, you know, a test of what to do with the best case scenario for elderly people. And I will look for the link and send it to you too, Mark. Okay, well, thank you, Karen. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, because that'll I'll be I'll be curious to um, to read that. So there'll be a lot in the show notes, links to the webinar that Karen did with Jessica House and that NPR story about a family and their active efforts to be more kind. And and like you were saying earlier, Karen, um, the thing that came out from that episode is it was the intentional acts, like going out of their way to find situations where um, they they could be kind to others. And so it was always always great to hear about that. So we'll share that with with everybody. So uh, again, the book is The Kind Leader, A Practical Guide to Eliminating Fear, Creating Trust, and Leading with Kindness. And we all know if we can do those things. Eliminate fear, create trust, lead with kindness. Uh, we'll be better off. Our employees will be better off. Their families and their communities will be better off. Our customers and our, our shareholders will be there better off. There is no downside. There is zero downside. Zero. So Karen, thank you so much uh, again for for being a guest on the podcast and thanks for sharing and giving us a lot to, to think about here today. And thank you too. As always, thank you for kindness and thank you for helping us practice kindness, Mark. Well, thanks again to Karen for being our guest today. If you want to find links to her book, uh, the previous webinar, future workshops, all sorts of things that we mentioned in the episode, the Wall Street Journal article link and more, You can find links in the show notes in your podcast app or go to the web, leanblog.org slash 427. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.